Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here tonight with not one, but two guest co-hosts, Tom and Ryan. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. That's what you told me to say. I, I, you know, points to you for listening. And Ryan, say Fizban to everyone. Fizban, everybody out there in internet world. And we're here tonight for review episode 21. We're going to take a look at, surprise, Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, the not quite newest D&D 5e hardback supplement. Anyone who knows me knows that October and November and clearly into December, not a good time. A lot of stuff going on. Catacon takes over my life. So I do apologize that this is coming out a bit late, but we were fortunate enough. Wizards of the Coast did send us um, one of each of the copies of the Fizban's uh, Dragon Fizzband's Treasure of Dragons book. I have the alt cover. I sent Tom the other cover and then Ryan purchased his own. And we are going to go give a review on our overall thoughts as we have done before. So Tom, I'll start with you um, because you're kind of the actual reviewer here. Again, I think uh, Ryan and I are going to offer mostly color commentary. But um, what is your history with dragons in the game Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, so my long and storied history with role-playing games. I when I first started playing D&D 5e with the inaugural campaign, the, the Rise of Tiamat, all right? The Tyranny of Dragons campaign. And I ran that campaign. We did the first book, Court of the Dragon Queen, Rise of Tiamat, level 1 through 20. So I have played a lot of dragons in Dungeons and Dragons. So I was excited to see this, to see how things have changed since the very first campaign. All right. Very cool. And Ryan, what about you? How, what is your history with dragons in the aforementioned Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, not nearly as much as Tom's. Most of them are inserting dragons of uh, various age levels um, into my home campaign. I wrote a, and if you've come to any of the Catacon events, uh, run a one-shot. That's a surprise dragon ending. But, uh, so, you know, nothing quite as official as Tom. But I do love dragons. I love everything about them, the power, what they represent, both wisdom and strength, danger and adventure. So uh, they're a favorite beast and creature of mine all right so i'm I'm sort of i guess in maybe in the middle of the two of you i again i think i've been running games longer than either of you i know tom i'm not sure about ryan specifically and like when i first started running games i loved dragons obviously it's in the title you want dragons and i've i've told the story multiple times about how i wanted to put a dragon in my game and i kind of railroaded (laughs) my players into playing it and they didn't want to (laughs) so then i kind of pulled away from the dragons and i made them more like overarching parts of the the lore i've talked about that campaign where the characters became like followers of golden claw and his you know eons long battle with crimson claw and they started getting like aspects of the dragon as they leveled up which are things that are somewhat covered in this book but i made all this up on my own and then since then they've basically been more story lore like they're very rarely things i have characters actively fight so there's definitely an opportunity for me to use a lot of things in this book to make dragons more prominent in my game because i kind of think they should be i kind of think it's in the name if you're playing dungeons and dragons probably should be a dragon at some point probably should be in a dungeon somewhere as well yep 
so with that sort of quick overview out of the way, Tom, what is this book presenting to us? Like what are what you know, what's the the high level view? What what's in this book? Yeah, so this book is told through the it's another one of those ideas you have like Tasha's and then you have Volos. This is Fizzbands, and Fizzband, his specialty is dragons. So what this is, is this is a book primarily for the dungeon master to take dragons, build dragons, build dragon layers and insert them into your campaign. And really the central goal, I think that the the writer's intent here was you could use this book to create and run your very own dragon centered campaign. So whether they succeeded with that or not, I think we're going to find out. But yeah, that's kind of the general. There's a little bit of character class stuff. There's a a bunch of information about creating dragons, some magic stuff, and that's about it. And a little bit of lore sprinkled in there. So again, I don't, I don't think, Tom, you're probably familiar with this, Ryan. I'm not sure about you, but back in like, the, I think it was second edition there were a series of books put out that were like the ultimate guides. So you had the ultimate guide to fighters and ultimate guide to rangers. And you had like the ultimate guide to like layers. And these were really good supplements. And I I think I've lamented on here before that I sold all of those to like a half price bookstore for like pennies on the dollar. And I've regretted it ever since. But this is sort of what this feels like to me. But I don't think it lives up to that in my mind. Like I have a very fondness for those uh, second edition versions of the book. I, I, I feel like there's a lot where they are venturing into that territory. Like this is somewhat of the definitive guide for dragons in fifth edition, but it's not because there's so much other information about dragons and so many other books. And they did not bring all that over. Like, like, you know, there's a couple of subclass options that are thrown in, but we don't have all of the dragon stuff here. We just have all of this new dragon stuff, including some brand new dragons that were added. So I feel like it's the incomplete guide to dragons. If, uh, if I had to say anything, I don't know, but I don't, I don't know if I did incomplete. Uh, I don't feel like there's that much stuff missing. Do you, Michael? I do. Oh, well, I do as well. Uh, but I'm also going to say that I'm going to lump this book in. The last thing I'll say here about what this book is, this book kind of continues in a similar theme as Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft did. This isn't a campaign setting, and I would even go so far as to say Van Richten's Guide is not necessarily a campaign setting. What it is, is it is a Dungeon Master's toolbox used for you to create your own campaigns so there's a lot of similar themes and layout structure that were brought over from van richten's into this book but they kind of digressed a little bit with them so i want to talk about that as well all right so i'm gonna give a quick overview of what will be in the book and then we're going to take and jump into each chapter some of which we may go into depth others we may just hit highlight but the book starts off with what's called the first world an elegy of the first world and it talks about sort of like the mythos of dragons. Uh, In chapter one, we have draconic-themed options for adventurers, including three variant dragon-born races, two dragon-oriented subclasses, some new feats, and some like roleplay suggestions. In chapter two, we have draconic magic, which includes new spells, new magic items, a new concept, at least I don't remember seeing it anywhere, for horde magic items, and also something called draconic gifts. In chapter four, we have tips, advice, and tables to help DMs build encounters, adventures, and whole campaigns around dragons. 
In chapter four, we have dragon lairs and hordes. So we have chapters about giving examples and how to build your own. In chapter five, we have the 20 types of dragons, sort of the Dragonomicon, which includes some new dragons that were just uh, created in this book. In chapter six, we have the bestiary, which includes stat blocks for wormlings, young adults, and ancient dragons for the amethyst, crystal deep, dragon turtles, emerald gem, metallic, moonstone, sapphire, and topaz dragons, as well as some other uh, monsters. So those are the chapters and kind of what they're in. So let's start with that first overall, that elegy. Tom, what do you have to say about that? Okay, elegy of dragons. This is the big lore push here. So what this does is kind of introduces us to and kind of is the world creation myth for honestly all of Dungeons and Dragons here. What this is, it tells a, it gives through a poem. And the whole idea is that there was Tiamat and Bayamut were part of the first world. It was almost like a one singular location. And then they basically birthed or created Sardior. All right, this is the first crystal dragon or gemstone dragon. They lived in harmony. They made more dragons. Dragons are flourishing. And then people from other planes of existence moved in. Lots of chaos happened and the world was sundered. All right. The world split apart and dragons were basically thrown throughout the D&D multiverse. And that's kind of the extent of the lore that we get in this book. So this was kind of like I was this had me hooked so much right at the beginning and i wish i got more but unfortunately if you're looking for a lot of history about the dragons and where they came from who they are or where are they you're not going to be getting it so one of the things about this i found really interesting and compelling but much like everything else i feel like they started down a road of something really interesting and then fell short of my hopes and honestly expectations but there are at least sprinkled in these concepts that perhaps Dragons in Eberron are the same dragons that are in Faerun. Yep. They're like they're they're like aspects of them, almost like a Marvel style multiverse. And there are some magic items and some spells that we'll touch on later where it's possible for like the same dragon that exists in all these different planes of existence to realize their other versions of themselves and communicate with each other. So like what one dragon in the Eberron world knows their, you know, soul bound counterpart in Dragonlance can know. I think that's pretty interesting. It does also feel a lot like Kang and Marvel, but I think it's an interesting thing. It's something I had not experienced before, but I don't think the book really flushes it out. But the fact that it's there is something like a little nugget. Maybe a DM will become inspired and make that a campaign element where maybe you hop from reality to reality, world to world. That could be cool. But I just, again, I, I feel like so many times this book is like, here's an interesting idea, but we're not going to do anything with it other than lay the idea here. We're not going to explore it ourselves or we're not going to explore it fully ourselves. So uh, the aspects you mentioned, Michael, they refer to them in the book as uh, echoes. And I thought that that was a really cool thing in this book. Um, and we'll, we'll probably have a chance to get into that uh, a little bit later. But that's actually one of the things I liked because it linked all the different um, worlds they have together. But my, my argument to Tom's point, and I guess to yours, is that Dungeons & Dragons being the title of the game and the system itself – 
everybody has their own lore and everybody has been playing dragons for so long that they only need to lay the groundwork and like the elegy, Tom, they only need to lay the basis because everyone's got their own story already and everyone's going to put their dragons in where they want and run them and create their own lore around them. I don't know that they, there needs to be a whole book about it. I think that this is enough for any, I'm not even, I mean, moderate DM to take and use and create, their own story and adventure around. I don't think that they need all that much lore when there's so many other things. Uh, the point being that the dragons are so huge in this book and they, they make them so large and overarching and so powerful that, I mean, the DM's going to do whatever they want with them. I don't know that they need a bunch of, of lore to back that up. And that's totally fair. And again, like I, I can already sense there's a feeling here that Tom and I may be a little bit more negative than Ryan. That's fine. I want you to stand up for this book. Do not feel like you have to kowtow to us if we are being negative Nellies. I want you to fight back on that. And that's a totally fair point because, again, sometimes a nugget is all you need or want. But it's also fair for Tom to have wanted more and not gotten it. Yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love dragons and I, I did want more lore and I can always use that. And that would keep me reading. But to be, I think to be, uh, take the other side of it, there's enough here to get your mind going and enough here to get a DM thinking um, and not too much that you feel like restricted, like, oh, I have to fit this in or, oh, it can only be this way. Um, and when we get into the, the layers and hordes things, they give you examples, but then they give you other things that you can choose from to, to help shape your campaign or shape what's going on um so you don't have to it's not it's not restrictive i guess they give you options and you can you can still pick and choose i think there's enough and i think it's open-ended i so i think they did a, a pretty good job all right fair enough uh so again we're going to jump into chapter one and this is where we have the majority of the player centric centric not centric centric stuff uh including again the new dragonborn sort of sub races i guess and the the subclasses some feats so tom i'm gonna let you kind of take the reins here because yep. i don't know enough about <laughs> subclasses to compare them to each other so what do you think about these okay. new player options so i will say this first off we need to get that phb number two all right there's too many books right now where you have player op dm books with player options just kind of spattered in I want them all combined. And I think we may be getting that next year. I know there's going to be some revised stuff coming out. So oh, fingers crossed. But yes. All right. So we get some player. Uh, we get some player options here. So we're going to be getting a, a new Dragonborn for each of the dragon types. We're going to get a monk subclass. We're going to get a dragon, a ranger subclass, which is actually pretty cool. Then we're going to get a few feats. All right. So. Uh, just to kind of uh, kick things off with the the Dragonborn stuff. You, either of you guys, Dragonborn people, Ryan, you like Dragonborn, Michael? I, I love do, Dragonborn. Actually. It's, actually. Yeah, I do. Okay. It's my, my favorite, probably my favorite race. Do you guys have any thoughts then about any of these Dragonborns and if you like them? I not, no because I don't okay. really particularly care about the ones that there exist now. I don't that don't go into that like my, my desire to play a dragonborn has almost nothing to do with the mechanics of it. Okay, all right. Well, um, Ryan, what about yourself? Does the mechanics you know strike your fancy? Yes. Okay. I think that they reflect um, the the dragonborn uh, sub races. I guess you'd call it um, that they created in here. 
definitely reflect their the god dragons that they depict. Uh, Tiamat and uh, you corrected me on my, on Bahamut, my pronunciation. Or, uh, uh, Bahamut. Yeah, Bahamut. Uh, Bahamut. Sorry, Tom. I'm going to do it every time. It sounds uh, wrong, though. Tom thinks yeah. it's right. It sounds wrong to me. It probably is wrong. It, yeah. I'm going to say it, though, with such confidence that you guys are going to <laughs> agree with me. <laughs> no, I like them. I think that they did each uh, each God Dragon justice in the representation of the, uh, the sub-races. Um, I really like the fact that they put Psionics in there for the Gem Dragons. I think that was a cool touch. I've been waiting for Psionics to start coming along more that was um, a really cool thing in fourth edition that i liked and this is i kind of i see the entryway doing that okay uh yeah so the 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 dragonborn stuff they're basically all the same except they get one special thing they all have their breath weapon that we expect the gem dragons can fly the chromatic dragons have this chromatic warding where they can become immune to certain damages once a day but the cool thing actually is the metallic dragon they get something cool they get a special breath weapon that they can use in addition to their other one where they can cause creatures to make constitution saving throws and become incapacitated during a round so if you're a type of player that really wants to screw up your dungeon master's really cool npc pick a metallic dragonborn and just knock them out so uh they're okay i mean but yeah it's it they're they're nothing 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 special here nothing that was like oh this is amazing but we do get two uh subclasses so uh i know nothing about monks so, okay, I, again, and I brought that. I will fully say, again, I'm probably the least mechanically savvy of, yep. of all of us when it comes to these games. But I love casters. Okay. Those are my favorite. Wizards over sorcerers for me. But I know that, like, part of the origin of the sorcerer class is that they may or may not have draconic bloodline in them, and that is the source of their power. So I have to assume... He says, knowing the answer, that there are some sub subclasses yeah, in here yeah, for yeah. sorcerers, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. So, you know, all right, Michael, way not to bury the lead. There is not a new sorcerer subclass here. I mean, like you said, they're tied to dragons historically, and they're just missing. I know that they were doing some unearthed arcana with a new uh, draconic lineage sorcerer, I believe, and that did not make it into this book. I don't think it was in Tasha's either. I'm pulling Tasha's. No, I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm pulling Tasha's out right here. We do not get the sorcerer. We get the clockwork and the aberrant mind in Tasha. So yeah, we've not seen a new update for the draconic um, sorcerer, which is kind of hoping they did would, especially because they fixed the Beastmaster Ranger. But uh, anyway, yeah, I was kind of weird weirded out that they gave us a monk and a ranger all right the monk i i do like the fact there's a ranger there just thematically i like it yeah i don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense again compared to the others but i'm i'm happy to see the ranger get a little bit of love yeah i'm with michael on this one actually i'm was kind of disappointed that there was not a um a spell class a spell casting subclass specifically a sorcerer i mean that's like one of two in the original php options you have as a sorcerer is uh either chaos or draconic and it's like it, from the very get-go you have that why not expand on it why not give it an option yeah so um i agree with michael this one definitely is is a miss um yeah the other two that are in here are i was not expecting a monk 
I kind of dig it. It makes sense as um, monk, you know, traditional fighting styles, um, you know, are after animals. Why not have one that's based on kind of a dragon theme? Um, so I get that. I think that's that was pretty creative. Um, and I like the fact that the ranger can mount um, a wormling um, or have like a dragon type mount. So I dig the the two that they use. But yeah, I agree with Michael that the missing was the sorcerer subclass here yeah the big core concept for both of these are so for the monk you are getting new abilities that let you kind of mimic dragon moves which is thematically this is really cool like you were kind of saying ryan and the other aspect of this fizzban kind of takes the role of a monk sometimes because fizzban spoilers is actually baymut um come as a human and he takes the role as a monk sometimes and there's this whole idea of dragons or metallic dragons manning temples and so basically the whole concept here is that you're a monk who's trained at one of these temples uh it's hilarious though we were talking about this beforehand michael about the whole idea that dragons used to have frightful presence which was nerfed from all of the new dragons in this book yes all the new dragons don't have frightful presence uh but they give the monk the ability to do frightful presence. So it was just kind of like, I was like, oh, I thought we weren't doing that anymore. Uh, but the ranger, like, you're, is super cool. You get to have a almost like a spectral dragon with you that grows as you level up. So it's cool. I don't really like rangers, but that's, uh, I mean, a lot of people do. So I think having more ranger stuff is always good i always wanted to like ranger and and i'm with probably the majority of the people that that um since they came out they always felt underbalanced i guess as far as ranger power goes because you as far as playing one because you have action economy and your beast always uh takes an action so this is cool to get um and i like the fact that it grows and gets stronger um so I don't know. I was kind of excited about this one, but yeah, I am a, a Ranger fan. Um, and this one is something that I would probably consider playing. Yep. It's cool. Dig it. Uh, yeah, that's character options. You want to jump into the magic stuff, Michael? Sure. So uh, in chapter three, we have draconic magic and it includes seven new spells. Looked over them. None of them really. There's only one warlock spell. All right. There's only seven spells. Dragons are magic creatures. We only get seven. You get one. Yeah, well, again, these enough. are player, really player options. Like these are player spells, right? Yes, they're player spells. Okay. They give you one from every school of magic. So they were yeah. trying to be creative that way. But. but they also go up. There's two second level, but then it's like three, four, five, six. I think it was all the way up to nine, but there's no first level spell. I don't yeah. know what what that was about. Uh, but there were some new magic. Ob- well, pro- honestly, probably for me, the big thing I want to talk about here, because we're going to talk about magic items specifically, but there's a concept of hoard magic items. Is this new? Is this some- from another book that I've missed? Or is this, this a new is concept? New. Yeah. This is new. I think this is new. Okay. So I think, again, this is something I think is kind of an interesting concept, but I would just take the idea and I would completely change it uh, because that's what I-, I would do as Michael. But the the concept is that Magic items can leech magic out of the presence of a dragon. And so that a magic item that spends time inside a dragon's lair 
becomes sort of like enhanced and gains like horde type powers. And it can be different powers based on like how long it's in there. The the powerness of the dragon. So like a wormling's horde will only empower magic item to a certain level, but an ancient dragon might be able to empower it more. I think this is an amazing concept to justify where magic items come from at all. Like, I want to take away the idea that there are wizards sitting around all day, like <laughs> trying to take magic rings, but there's just a ring that is in a, mag- in a dragon's horde, and it's spent 20 years in there, and then a, an adventurer comes in and takes it, and now it has this ability because it's just been in the presence of a dragon for 20 years, and it's become magical. So rather than the idea that a magic item becomes differently magical, I would just say this is how all magic items or most magic items are formed. I think that's really cool. I do like the idea that, you know, maybe like a magic item that was created, however, goes into a, a horde and stays there for 20 years. Maybe it gets a different magic power. Maybe it has more magical powers. But there's something that's too gamified about the way they present it of, oh, maybe you can like negotiate with a dragon and it will allow you to to, to bank your sword in its lair for a year so that it gets this special power. I don't like that concept at all. So I think it's a really interesting idea, but I don't like the way, I don't like their completion aspect. I like the nugget as, as to start. So I'll go to you first, Ryan. What do you think about this Horde Magic Out? What, what, what's your thought of it? Uh, you know, I kind of, I'm on the fence because I like the idea of being able to do this. And I like the way you explain it about this could be the way all magic items come into creation. The problem is, for the, in that instance, you would have to like literally pilfer an entire horde of items to spread them out, and there wouldn't be enough magic items across the world um, as far as adventures go and things like that. Because surely, you know, when you're playing, you're not the only adventurer. Just law of averages, you know. It's just saying. But I like that idea, um, and I don't, I don't really care for the the classes they use: slumbering, stirring, awakened, ascended. I feel like there's hard lines drawn between there. And um, I think that that's some, rest- it feels like it's really restrictive um, and can be a problem. You know, when does a DM cut off a lo- cut up the line off or, you know, maybe he was got lucky and got this powerful magic item and it's above what it should be. Or, you know, he, this dragon got bad info and one or a magic item and it's less than what it should be. So it's kind of below that mark. So I, I mean, I know you can have some free will to do that, but um, I don't. I don't know. I like the concept. I really do, and I think it's fun to uh, throw in some odd items along with you know whatever's in the horde. Um, and I like the fact that it can get stronger. But like, I don't know. There's there's just something there that I don't quite like. It's it's hard to put my finger on it. So I think it's a really cool concept. And it definitely has some merits, and there's definitely some um, some side quests that you could throw out, or some adventure hooks to to go get this um, item here, or talk to this dragon to get this somehow. There's some hooks in there, but there's just something that doesn't feel complete about it to me. Uh, I think we're kind of on the same page. What about you, Tom? Okay, so I was thinking about this. This is not new. All right, as you were saying this, this showed up in Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. All right. Uh, this is the uh, the vestiges of divergences that showed up there. So they took this concept of leveled magic items. So in the Wildmount book, we have dormant 
awakened and exalted. All right. So what it is, is the whole idea in that book that as you level up your character and you do things that are, you're persevering, it's all about character growth. Then the magic item that you have goes to its next level. So Hmm. I think it's a cool concept. I think they took it to kind of change it to match with dragons. Um, So they're just kind of taking the building blocks there modifying them like here's how you well, see with I, dragons but i think those are different though because i've i've used legacy magic items for years and years and years which is as you grow in power your magical weapons but these grow are in though power with you uh but this is like because it doesn't have to be in your hands like it's if there's just a sword that's been in this dragon's horde for 20 years it's now the more powerful sword but for to me there's no difference of saying hey i know of this magic item it's in this dragon's lair we need to go get it. Are you with me? Versus I know this magic item that's in this dragon's horde and it's been there for eight years, which means that it's actually the perfect item we need to go do this other thing. Are you with me? To me, that's not enough difference in those two to justify a whole new gamification system of this type. Uh, yeah. And I will say the danger to this is they, they do put a section. Uh, it's a very short single paragraph thing that they say that those magic items that those, you might hook your adventures on going to get or giving, it does say in there that they decrease in power after they've been out. You go early and you find a, you get lucky and you find a magic item that's been sitting in a dragon's hoard for 20 years. Guess what? You're three months into adventuring and it's starting to decrease in power because it's not there anymore. Yeah. That um, feels backwards. Again, that, that's yeah, like the opposite I, of a legacy item. The longer you keep it, the worse it gets. That feels. Yeah. I didn't, me. I don't, I don't, I mean, okay, it makes sense because as you use a weapon, it's no longer around the dragon. It's going to start to give some stuff back, I guess, or fade out. But that's not, I don't feel like that's what D&D is about. Like you want to keep gaining, you want to keep progressing. The numbers get bigger. That is a core concept of D&D. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And now the numbers get smaller. That's weird. And it says every 30 days, it decreases in power by one level if it's not in the horde. So, you know, I mean, how long, how long are you adventurers? You know, like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go out. I'm going to take it out this week. And then I'm going to sneak it and put it back in the, the right. dragon's like, horde while yeah. I'm not using it. It, it becomes then, transactional in a way that feels, doesn't feel satisfying cheap. to me. Yeah. Like you said, numbers get bigger. This, I, I don't, um, I don't like this particular part. All right. But let's talk about some things we do like, because there are some magic items. There's 13 new magic items presented in the book. Tom, what is your favorite or one of, because I may have stolen yours, one of your favorite magic items in this book? Okay, I was reviewing our Twitter notes just now, too, and I realized that I was going to say, we were talking, it's not the flail that's in here. It's the lodestone. I can't believe I forgot about this. There's an amethyst lodestone in here. This is a stone that lets you control gravity. All right, so there's all sorts of things in D&D at this point that let you fly. Flying is no longer cool in D&D. It used to be cool. It's no longer cool. All right, but controlling gravity is freaking sweet. All the cool <laughs> stuff. This is like one of those um, like immovable rod kind of things that you don't think is going to be really cool, but there are some really creative things that you can do with it. All right, so plus, all right, I'm saying this specifically for um, friend of the show, Big Al. This is going to let me play my Kaladin Stormblessed character from the Stormlight Archives, you know? I'm going to be controlling gravity, and I'm flying around with my Dragon Lance. Uh, it's going to be sweet. Anyway, yeah, I love the Lodestone. It's cool. Nice. 
Uh, for me, I am an old school nerd. I grew up watching the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. <laughs> I think it was only like two seasons or something. I currently own it on DVD. I bought it at half price books, probably the same day I sold my books to them. I feel bad about it. But Hank the Ranger, which is probably why Ranger was one of the subclasses, had one of the most iconic weapons ever. It's a bow that you just pull the string back and a magical, in that case, I think it's like a yellow lightning-ish type of you know, projectile forms. And so you shoot it and you never have to run out of arrows. Well, they now have that. It's called the dragon wing bow. It can be any dragon or any bow type. It can be, um, it's a rare, it has to be attuned. And basically, yes, you pull, if you shoot an actual arrow, it does 1d6 extra damage, or you can just choose not to have any arrows and you pull back the string and it will produce an arrow magical force arrow that you shoot and it disappears as soon as it hits or misses the target. And that is super effing cool. It's funny. You say, all right, so nobody, all right, let's be honest here. Nobody tracks ammunition in D and D, but just the whole idea, the concept of not having any arrows is super. It is. It's, it's just cool. You know, like you're falling down a cliff. Oh, you don't have your quiver. So like typically a dungeon master would just not even think about that. You just, but now the character specifically says, Oh, I don't have a quiver, but I can still shoot guys. So that's right. It's pretty cool. Now, wh- one of the magic items I created years and years and years ago, like one of my first campaigns ever, this was a Brandon, Bill and Joe campaign. Um, I gave Joe a bow based similar off this, but that weapon he learned over time that if he thought certain things as he pulled the bow back, it would change the ammunition. So if he thought of like poison, it would shoot a poison arrow. If he thought of fire, it would shoot a fire arrow. I would definitely do that in my game if you get one of these. Like there's going to be a, a That's sort of, right there, man. Basically, yes, it's, yeah. it's the trick arrows. You can shoot a Play-Doh arrow or mm. a USB arrow with this bow. It's going to be an upgraded version and it's going to be super awesome. So you're welcome, America. Uh, Now, I dig the bow, uh, mostly because I read through a lot of the Drist books, and he has a companion in there. um, I'm pretty sure her name is Katie Bree. She's got a magical bow, and it does the exact same thing. She doesn't have to track ammunition. She pulls back, and this shoots like force arrows of pure light. And I mean, they go through rocks, all kinds of crazy things. Always dug that. Um, It was her weapon of choice. And this is really cool. Uh, so I'm, I'm on board with the, uh, the dragon wing bow. Uh, I chose the platinum scarf. And I will say this is out of character for me because I'm very much a sword and shield armor type of guy. But this thing is multifunctional. And I like it because it's unassuming. You're like, oh, you've got this, this uh, scarf. That's pretty cool. It's got some crazy, you know, scales on it. That's really good uh, weaving. Turns out, nope, the scales are there. They're real. And you can pluck them off. And they do different things. Uh, so, you know, you really have, like, multifunction. It gives you, it can heal you up to 40 hit points, which is pretty decent for a single scale. It can be the scale you pulled off, and it becomes a plus one shield. And then... If you are in need of some damage, it can become a hammer. I mean, really, like, why why carry weapons around, you know? You've, this does everything. It's, it's, um, it's your Swiss Army knife, except it's a scarf. You can flavor it to whatever color you want. You can make it, you know, fit your character. You can tie it around your wrist. You can hang it around your neck. A, a million different uses. 
and the scales come back. They regrow every day. Uh, so this just, it seems really cool. Uh, like I said, out of character for me, but I found this, I find this so useful that I don't know how you can't not like it. And again, there's um, nine more magic items. Maybe not enough, okay. some might say, uh, in the book. But now we're into chapter three, and I think three, I have, four, and five. I'm gonna, oh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna step on, I'm gonna step on your flow real quick, Michael, because I have two more comments here. All right, okay, sure. This Let, is my the apology, sir. No, you have you're the fine. All right, this is the time I'm gonna bring up the lack of art. There are, there okay. is no art for any of the magic items. All right, what? Like this book is. This is a common theme through this book where there is just massive swaths where there is nothing but words all right um at, in a book in a book all right at this point the reason i want to bring this up i went on a twitter rant about this all right so there are so many third-party publishers who are putting out great fifth edition products with art throughout the whole thing so when the art in third-party publishing is better than the prime material like it's like this it's just so disappointing because this comes on the heels of the ravenloft book which knocked it out of the park so this is just kind of a big swing and a miss for me same thing goes for the Witchlight book had absolutely killer art throughout and this just book this book has good art but there's just not enough of it so that's my first comment um, I'm going to talk about it later once we get to chapter five. But then I'm um, also going to mention the feats, Michael. We didn't talk about dragon oh, gifts real quick. The one thing I want to say about this, this is one of our first carryovers from Van Richten's Guide. In Van Richten's Guide, we had dark gifts. Here we have mm-hmm. dragon gifts. It's basically, it's a, it's not a feat. It's a special power that you can talk with your GM or GMs can give. Some of them are kind of cool, like Frightful Presence shows up again so it's everybody has frightful presence now but the dragons so there's i actually really like some of these gifts and i do think they're these gifts are great things to make characters feel really unique in a dragon campaign well and i mentioned that campaign i ran the golden claw versus crimson claw that's one of the things that i did uh is that i gave like in my world it was tied to the level so like every time they leveled in the game they got a new gift or it like enhanced so like i think like around around level three their features started to take on a scaly sort of like draconic appearance even though they were they were like humans they weren't dragonborn and it gave them an ac bonus and at the next level maybe the scales hardened and it became like a stronger ac bonus and at a certain level they grew wings and then at a certain level they had like a breath weapon so i was doing a version of that but it was like totally made up not uh, it was broken as hell version of that years and years ago. So I do like the fact that they put these in here. So if I wanted to do that again, I had a more mechanically sound version of it. Uh, but I also don't think this is anything new necessarily. Okay. These feel a lot like uh, patron gifts for warlocks for me. Hmm. Very similar. So I think in that regard, they're pretty cool because it's, I feel like it's an extension of the dragon's gift, uh, the dragon's power to the player. And I think that if you're going to use these, then you you need a really good reason as to why the dragon's giving it or make it i feel like some of these uh like you said tom the frightful presence is could be so powerful that the players really have to earn it or they really have to want it 
on these because I mean they could be it's essentially like an extra feet in some cases uh, and you know the discussion for a long time is how strong feats are in in 5e and essentially that's what these are so I think it's really cool but yeah definitely these could tend to be you know too powerful in some cases so you know caveat to these is uh, be careful if you gift a gift and don't look a gift dragon in the mouth all right, so we get into chapter three, and I think chapter three is the heart of this book. It is my by far my favorite part of this book. I think it's the part that I will get the most use out of, and I think many people will as well. And this is where we get the DM stuff specifically, and it is full of tips and advice and charts to help you, the Dungeon Master, create interesting dragons for your campaigns, as well as design encounters, adventures, and whole campaigns around these dragons. Yep. So we get charts that include like dragon appearance. So they, so it's a dragon, but maybe this one has, you know, different colored eyes or has a scar, has a missing patch of scales that have been, you know, like fixed with like gems they've encrusted in there to cover over the weak spot. Mannerisms, uh, their own bonds and flaws, secrets and, and names. Loved all of this stuff. So I'll go to you, Tom. Again, there's a little bit more to it yeah. as well, but I think to me that is like the the gold in this in this book is this section. What did you think of it? So there's a lot of stuff I want to dive into here. Here, overview. This is such a good chapter. All right, this oh this is a if you want to run a dragon campaign, this is the chapter you need. All right, you don't need. I'm sorry, you don't need chapter five. Dragonomicon, you need chapter three. All right. This has so much good, valuable information that is interesting to read, which is, I cannot tell you, I say this all the time. I find that the best sections of RPG books are the ones that are fun to read. Uh, surprise, surprise. We like reading when it's interesting. So this is just. There's lots of good stuff here, lots of stuff to talk about. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll bounce it back over to Ryan. General thoughts here. I am with the two of you guys on this one. This is probably the best chapter in the book, and it's probably the most useful. If you're struggling for an idea, there's a table in here. And then, Tom, I know you love tables. Yep. There's one in here for nearly everything. And it's, it's amazing how much they give you. It's amazing how much differences they distribute among things whether it's your age of your dragon or what it can do or what the goals are it's it, uh I, this is by far the, probably the best and what you're going to get the most use out of uh i think yeah it's super cool i said this also includes that echoes across the world i kind of talked about at the beginning this is where it, it talks specifically about the different aspects echoes of these dragons on other worlds it also has a section on reproduction that i thought was kind of interesting uh, i want to talk about concepts it. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll, you go off. Yeah, you, you explain it then. I just want to talk about it. That I think this is hilarious. All right, <laughs> I, I just think it's great that they allowed this section. You know, they, it's the the opening chapter is the opening paragraph here is like dragon babies are made when it dragons get it on. Like that's kind of like what it starts Let's out with. Get it on. But then it's like, but if you don't want to do that. Dragons can be made these other ways. So it's like, yeah, so it's it's just, I just thought it was hilarious that there are, it's, there's 10 ways for dragons to reproduce that are not what we think. Right. Well, the reason I like this is this is a, this is an argument I have had on the internet so many times that I'm trying to explain to newer dungeon masters that you can do whatever you want. 
And I think this is a chapter that just basically says to to new dungeon masters, hey, if you want to create a world where dragons, new dragons are born through this way, that's okay. It's your world. Do that. And I just, that's basically what I think this is. This is like 10 examples of lore that you could use in your game to make dragons different than the typical dragons in the book. And I, just, I love that it's in there just because I think, again, this might be the first new book a new DM gets. Like they've just started running now. They got the starter set. And this is the first book that came out. So they may pick it up because they want dragons in their game. And I do like the fact that it's in there just as a, it's your world. You can do whatever you want. Here's 10 examples of how we could change lore for dragons in in our world. And, you know, maybe you come up with an 11th you like better. So I kind of like that it's in there, even though it's kind of silly in some regards. It's so silly. Maybe the presentation is a little silly. I like the advice. Uh, Some of these are hilarious, but I really like that they, they... I mean, they took probably the 10 most popular arguments of, of how a dragon would re- reproduce and put it in here. Um, and it makes complete, and they make it make complete sense as far as dragons go. I will say the one thing I find interesting, Tom mentioned it, is they say that they mate and produce a clutch of eggs. I've never really thought of dragons reproducing like, say, turtles, where they produce 30, 40, 100 eggs. Um, and because you never like I don't I don't know maybe it's just me but I never remember like playing a game or or hearing uh, reading a book or t- listening to a DM go oh you found this clutch of dragon eggs it's usually just one egg floating around or it's this prized possession you never find like thirty dragon eggs sitting in a place waiting to hatch and I I think that that line in the book is just kind of funny because uh, you never think of dragons being that uh commonplace or like that many dragons in a group right when if it's not like they have a they have a convention they meet up you know at dragon con and they have all these dragons floating around uh, we're, we're getting to that sir that's co- that's coming uh, up when i'm going to go off on Ryan. that but i will say that one of my very first fantasy books i ever read as a kid it's the reason i love fantasy is called children of the dragon by rose estes and it ends on a cliffhanger and she never wrote the sequel and i'm still mad about it but in that book there's a dragon <laughs> that has a clutch of like five or six eggs so i started my D adventure knowing that dragons had multiple eggs. Haven't so. you guys ever seen Godzilla from 1998? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's a dragon with a clutch of eggs. Uh, the other, my favorite one here was the Dragon Conclave, because it's just a group of dragons taking care of an egg. We could totally have a three men and a baby situation. Oh. Like, I just want my Tom <laughs> Selleck and Ted Danson Dragon. Three dragons and a wormling. Oh, yeah, I know. That's that's our next campaign but right there. Let's do it. The yeah. So the the one section that I really like here is so we have the reproduction, but right before that we have the whole idea of the age span. You have wormlings, young, adult, and ancient. So we always knew that there were the young, adult, and ancient, but we get wormlings added. Now your tier one D and D characters can go fight dragons and i think this is great because typically dragons don't get brought up until like of you know level four or five you just see them you don't fight them though yet but what i really this actually inspired me i really want to do a campaign now uh surprise surprise a level one another level one to 20 campaign where the whole concept is we complicate dragons too much but dragons are monsters at the end of the day i just want my players to be dragon hunters, start at level one, kill some wormlings, and just keep on working their way up level 20 
They're killing aspects of Tiamat, aspects of Bayamut. They don't care. Like, they're just killing them all. Just killing the dragons. Like... So again, so you're also, I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we get a little bit further. Okay. So uh, wrapping up chapter three, we have a section on dragon organizations, and then there's a section on dragon adventures and dragon campaigns. So again, if you are considering using dragons in your game or you want some inspiration, I think all of these are great. I don't think we need to break down any of them yep. specifically, but it's just, it's basically, it's, it's nuggets. It's a little like, hey, here's an idea, here's an idea, here's a faction, here's a concept. You know, you can build off of that and create an entire adventure, an entire campaign. Um, again, chapter three, by far, was my favorite chapter in this book. Okay. I have nothing else to add for that. It was just, it's a really good one. I think that this book, it reminds me of the Van Richten's Guide. Like, it's really good. Very useful. The good parts, yeah. Yep. Chapter four. Chapter four is dragon lairs and dragon hordes. Okay, this is the section that I really just kind of skimmed over because it was the shortest chapter in this book. And I'm not going to lie, I jump around in these books and I actually missed it. And so, um, yeah, this section here, it introduces how to build a lair. All right. So... These things include where to put the lair, uh, the the aspects of the regional effects. Is the lair cursed? And then the other big thing is what's in the lair. So uh, it's useful. It wasn't as interesting to read. So and then there was a lot of stuff here that was like, oh, you want to know what to put in the dragon's lair? Go to the dungeon master's guide and roll on the random magic tables. I was like. Just tell me what to put in the layer. This is the layer section. So, yeah, I did find the regional effects really helpful, though, Tom. They're cool. Uh, And I I mean, very cool. And it's um, as you read through the rest of the book, when you get to the dragon part, it does tell you different uh, different regional effects that each one of those imposes. And uh, this that part I I did really like. Um, I think it's a new concept, uh, at least for me. Anyways, it was a new concept as to how far outreaching their power goes, not just in their layer, but just complete region effects of things and what it causes them to do. And, um, I mean, most of them made a whole lot of sense. Everything from um, a lot of it, you know, weather stuff, um, so it'd be terrain. I mean, it could be creatures in the area, um, how things get warped or changed, good or bad. I mean, just... I don't know. I, as far as that goes, I really liked that portion of the of the. Chapter. If you're going to build a dragon centric campaign, and I think that's a fun element to include, so that it feels consistent. But I agree with with Tom. It's it's kind of a forgettable chapter if you're not in the process of building that type of world. It's not fun to read. I didn't think. I thought I thought it was very. That's why I literally had to pick up the book and go like, "What is?" Because I kind of had forgotten what it was. <laughs> the the big is hey, here's your segue, Michael, into chapter five. This section, the reason I think that this section four is kind of forgettable is because this teaches you how to build a layer, but then in the next section, it includes a layer for every single dragon. So it's kind of yes. like, why do I need this? Um, I'll just go to the dragon that I have, and ah, there's the layer. You're right. So I have to, I'm going to step on a soapbox okay, for a minute. do it. Okay, I, I know that I'm being pedantic. <laughs> I know that going in. So just over there. Chapter five, we get the 20 types of dragons. It, it literally calls itself the Draconomicon. I hate this. <laughs> what? Hold on, hold on. Everybody stop. Everybody stop. All right, hold on. 
Michael hates something. All right. I hate something. Okay. So dragons live hundreds, if not thousands of years. And we've already read in the book to this point that a dragon in an area is a force to be reckoned with. It, it literally warps the reality around its lair so that it affects for miles around. We know that dragons are territorial. They don't usually get together. So if two dragons are next to each other, it's going to cause some problems, right? But this, the conceit of chapter five is that there have been so many black dragons, so many blue dragons, that they have been studied that we can come up with statistics about them. That the average blue dragon lives in this type of place. And the average gold dragon likes these types of artifacts. If we were to conceptualize that there are that many dragons that live for that long, and they're that large of a political force in the world, it makes no sense. Okay. That doesn't work. You can't have 500 gold dragons if gold dragons live for thousands of years, grow to that size. It just It's a lore breaking thing. Again, I knew oh. I started this saying I know I'm being pedantic, but here's where it works. I like the idea that maybe there is a secret organization like Tom's News Campaign that all they do is go around killing dragons to keep this from happening and that without this black, men in black type of situation who are going around killing wormlands, killing young dragons, killing all of them, that it would destroy the world. That could be fun, but it it absolutely drives me bananas to think that there have been enough blue dragons that have been studied to come up with a like a statistical breakdown of how blue dragons are different than gold dragons versus red dragons. I hate that. In my world, there's probably going to be three dragons. <laughs> Period. End of story. Oh, my Not word. anymore. And I'm going to put the pin in your balloon here. So the, the book is called Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons. Tom already said, who's Fizbin? Fizbin's Bahamut. Bahamut. Tom, did I get it right? It's Bahamut. 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 See, I still got it wrong, Tom. I can't do it. He knows everything. He he was there at the beginning. So he's seen every blue dragon, every white dragon, every copper dragon. You know, so that's that's how you get the averages because he wrote the book, right? He put him in there. (laughs) I'm just telling you that. But here's the thing. So we get uh, we get like it's like three or four pages for each type of dragon you could fix this really easy for me and instead give me a name don't give me amethyst dragons give me a block of the amethyst dragon of blah 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 and give me five pages on that dragon their lair their horde their predilections but don't say this is like what most of them are like give me one of them and actually i would have loved this book i want five or six pages on each dragon give me a named version and let me extrapolate that, hey, if I don't want to use that version, I want to use a, like a younger version, maybe my blue dragon will be kind of like the blue dragon in this book. But as, as I just my mind was the flames, oh, the flames. You are being the two the two paragraphs of the most uh, famous dragon of that color weren't enough for you. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to get talk about that. All right. So, Michael, you are being very pedantic. I. Yes. All right. It's funny. I thought we were not going to like the same things. I think you're all right. So you're ridiculous. That's this is absolutely dumb reason to not like this section. It's a game. It's a game. The whole point of this is to make things easy for people to digest and understand. And that's what they do. They can't come up with five different types of 
blue dragon layers. It's a blue dragon layer, all right? It, there are certain concepts that we all have to understand. All right, so now I want to get on my soapbox. All right, because I don't like okay. this for a different reason. I, I, come I have on. Stepped, I, I have stepped off my soapbox. I've wiped okay. it off right, with a cool. napkin, Boop. and now I've said you. Yep. All right, here, I'm stepping up. All right, clop, clop, I'm on the box. Okay, so, Michael, all right, and Ryan. All right, so this is why I don't like this section. All right, there isn't. Ryan, you said that there's a paragraph? Two paragraphs? There's like there's like two to two to no, maybe four paragraphs at the end of every dragon type but, about the most famous dragon of that color. But there, or, but there isn't. It's not for everyone. All right, well, okay, oh, okay maybe there's most, like two but, that so, don't have so, it. Yeah. I would say probably... 15 of the 20 so yeah so that is definitely michael i think you read those like ryan said i think you'll be a lot happier my thing was so they give you these they give you the layer types and the and these are certain things that these all assumptions of these layers my problem here is that why are these layers a certain way they don't explain anything about the dragons that's the big problem here it just gives you some random tables and says here's the amethyst dragon's layer Here's what's in its horde. Why is the lair? The, the thing is, they wait till they get to the bestiary to talk about those dragons. All right. I want to know, like, what makes these dragons tick? What are they like? What are their personalities like? What makes a blue dragon different from a black dragon? And they go into some of that stuff in the bestiary and then also in the monster manual, like, if you go to the monster manual, the red dragon, it goes into like, oh, these are the most aggressive dragons. They live in volcanoes, all this kind of stuff. They don't do that here. It's just it. There's some there's some of that in there. I'm I'm looking at okay for your example, page seventy nine. Yep. Amethyst dragon layers. There's two paragraphs on on that particular dragon's layer. Why it's like that? Why they like it? See, and I know that we're kind of just we're going over details here, Ryan. But like it doesn't say why the dragon's layer is like it. It talks about what the dragon's layer is. So it's like these are crystal cathedrals with lots of beautiful things and everything. But why is an amethyst dragon in these beautiful areas? What does that tell me about the well, dragon? Well, amethyst is a rock. It's, it's a type of geode. It grows in the ground. It's got to be in so, a cave. But my thing Near is... There's some water to do that. So it's, you know, you come on, man. But my thing is here, though, is that as the reader, you are the author here, the writer here, is trying to assume that the reader is has the same assumptions. You When you're writing and this is where i'm getting really into like the review section i want to be critical here is that they need to express what they want you to think all right that is very very key here and it's okay for us to have certain assumptions and for us to create our own worlds but when you have these like very core central concrete concepts that you're trying to get people to understand you need to tell them what they need to understand and that was my big thing. It was just so frustrating because I wanted that. I want to know wh what these dragons are. What is their lore? And I just didn't get that. So See, and I think that goes back to the beginning of our discussion when we started about, about giving enough and having enough and just giving, you know, the beginning pieces and creating your own lore, taking it from basically step one or two and not taking you five steps down. And building everything for you. I think that a lot of these short paragraphs, because they keep it, they keep it short. Michael's right. Four to five pages on every color of dragon. Um, they give a little bit about the layer, what it looks like, some key features it has, but they, they leave it up to the DM, I think. And, and again, I think that they just did enough to 
let the DM's mind kind of, you know, start to uh, fireworks and fizz and, you know, eventually boil over with all these ideas. And I think they gave you enough. I don't think that they needed all of that stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I would have loved it. And I think it would have, man, I would have read until, you know, two or three in the morning every day trying to catch up on the book. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I, it works for me. I, I think I understand too. And this is kind of the last thing I want to say about this is that I think really kind of to cap this off is what this, who this book is for. And I think this book is for dungeon masters like yourself, Ryan, and maybe even you, Michael, where you want to have, it's for your, your own world. All right. If you're making your own world outside of the Dungeons and Dragons mythos and the lore, the planes that they have created, if you have your own world, this works great because you're not burdened by any of that lore. You're able to create your own stuff. For me personally, because I run through game, all the games I run are in the established worlds and campaign settings of D&D. This just doesn't work for me. So that's kind of where I think that makes complete sense. Yeah, I I agree with you. So it's who's it for? If you if you want to do your own campaign setting, great. But if you're looking to fit these dragons in to the Forgotten Realms or something like that, it's much harder to do. Fair enough. Fair. fair, Yeah. All right. Uh, And when the book wraps up with a bestiary, again, I think I mentioned before, but it includes stat blocks for wormlings, young adult and ancient dragons excuse me young wormlings young adult and ancient for the amethyst crystal deep dragon turtle emerald gem metallic moonstone sapphire and topaz dragons it does not collect or rebuild the other dragons and i think that's a huge mistake again if this is going to be the book on dragons yep. Reprint the or because there's been change, like I said, they've 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 sort of changed some of the dragon stuff around. Then give us the new version of the ones we've already done. I think that's a huge mistake. Yep. But it does have some cool stuff in there, and I think we all picked a monster we kind of liked or wanted to touch on. So Tom, out of the out of what's in there, what was your favorite monster or the one you want to touch on? Okay, the dragon flesh grafter. I I picked the thing that is furthest from a dragon in this book. It's basically humanoids who want to be dragons they're basically all right look i've got some friends who are furries but like they're basically kind of dragon furries okay all right they want to be dragons so bad but they're just not so what they then do is they like graft dragon parts onto them um and they are honestly if you read the stat block they are not an interesting monster to run in combat they're just not they're very boring they hit stuff they don't have they they have yeah they spit some acid it's kind of funny like they don't have a full dragon breath they just kind of like almost like puke on you um but the but they're just cool because i was kept on thinking about this campaign i'm gonna run of level one to 20 where people are hunting dragons and these are totally something that you could do early on maybe you're not ready to go hunt a young dragon yet but you know what? You heard about George in the village over who grafted some <laughs> dragon wings on him. And that'll work for now. So this is some practice. You can go kill George, the dragon grafter. So I thought these things were really cool. They were fun. Nice. Uh, so I chose the horde mimic. 
because this is just hilarious to me that in a book all about dragons and and they make such a big deal about hordes and magic items that they would include a mimic that's basically a giant dragon horde, but it's not. It's a mimic. Uh, So basically it's a mimic, but this is a mimic that is so large that it appears to be in a giant pile of gold and treasure. Uh, The lore includes that often these work in partnership with a dragon and serves as a false horde to try to keep adventurers from finding the true dragon's horde. So it could be in the middle of a dragon's uh, chamber chamber, or lair, and the the heroes think they've gotten there, like, hey, the dragon's not here. This is great. We can get the thing we came for. But no, it turns out they're actually just walking on a giant mimic the size of a mountain of gold. And I just personally think that's, that's hilarious. All right. So, what about you, Ryan? Which one? I don't. Did you want to talk about? Uh, I chose the uh, the dragon blood ooze. Um, I'm not a fan of oozes and uh, gelatinous cubes and things. Usually, I mean, they have their place. But uh, this one just it's it's funny because the lore says that you know it's probably from an experiment with some leftover dragon blood. But thinking about how powerful dragons would be, like if you were to kill a dragon and let's say not mortally wounded, but to cause enough damage for it to go away, why wouldn't its blood be sentient? I mean, you could uh, do that and you could have somebody, a a wizard that wants to collect it and create these things, or you could have uh, a whole line of clerics that are designed to purify these things. Um, And the fact that it, it, that it, it goes into say wants to have a breath weapon because it's part of a dragon, but it instead it just like, slimes you everywhere um i think is hilarious um and then the fact that it it takes that slime back so it's not like it gets rid of it it it, it's just like flopping itself around on the players (laughs) and i i don't know i think it's it's i think it's really funny um i think it's got some it's got a lot of different uh things i mean and you could and it's a large ooze so it's not like it's super small either i mean you could make it small but I don't know. I, it's I. I just really like this one. I think it's got a lot of versatility. Um, you could make it comical. You could make it serious. And uh, I can hear the wet slap sounds already in my game. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those As things it's... you get when you're a kid. You put a dollar in or a quarter in one of those machines, and you get one of those like uh, like putty things. You know, you know, in a little egg that you can open and and meal around or whatever. Yeah. So I know. I I think this. It, I. I think it's hilarious. All right. Fair enough. So now it's time for sort of our overall thoughts and our, we'll do our ratings as we always do. Uh, I got one. I, was, I got one more thing. I'm, oh. you're, you're, I'm jumping. You're jumping ahead on me, Michael. All right. So I got to talk about some other aspects real quick about the, the beast, the best year. Okay. Oh, sure. Two, yeah, yeah, two yeah. things here. The first one is this is where we get the dragon lore. All right. So this is where they talk about the amethyst dragon. All right. So this is kind of, it's weird for me that it's here. It should have, this is more of a layout kind of thing in an informational flow that when you first start talking about something, you need to understand what that thing is. So when they started talking about the Amethyst Dragon and the the Dragonomicon, that's where this should have been. So instead of me reading, like, I'm just confused. And then, but then it shows up later. So it is here, um, but it's just kind of, it's a weird layout, but you are going to get some lore for all these new dragons, but this is where it is. All right. The other thing I want to talk about, which is all right. Cause I haven't actually seen anybody talk about this yet online. The aspect of Tiamat is the CR 30 
monster in here. All right. We also get the ba- aspect of Bayamet. All right. But this is not the first time that Tiamat has showed up in 5th edition. The Rise of Tiamat. There is a stat block for Tiamat in there. And it is a CR30 Tiamat. So what this is, is this is a revamped, revised version of that monster. So they nerfed Tiamat hard here. All right. So the Really? Yeah. So the original... I don't I don't know about that, Tom. Because if, if she's in the Rise of Tiamat, that would be... Tiamat herself. This is an aspect that's meant to be like a manifestation, not all the way there. I think that they would have done better and probably would have done you justice if they would have made the stat block CR like 25. Yeah, well, that's the thing though. That's what I'm saying though, is because it's meant to be the same. They just changed the name, but it's the same monster. They're both CR 30. They both have the same powers, but they 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 just changed the power some. So what I'm saying is, for example, they have the in Tiamat. This Tiamat has one breath weapon. The other Tiamat, they have breath weapons for all five of them. And I I know exactly why they did this because I ran this monster. It was incredibly difficult to run. All right, it's a very confusing monster. It's a complicated monster to run because the Tiamat in the Rise of Tiamat has five legendary actions, and so you're just doing all of these breath weapons. There's non-stops. They basically simplified it. They gave you one breath weapon, and then they made it three legendary actions. The other things that they did was they reduced Tiamat's armor class from 25 to 23, and then they also removed Frightful Presence. All right. They gave... so <laughs> There fr- it is again. I keep talking yeah. about it, but what Frightful Presence is, for those who don't know, is Frightful Presence, whenever you run into a dragon, you have to make a wisdom saving throw. For Tiamat, that wisdom saving throw is 26. All right. So you have to beat a 26 or you're scared and you can't do anything. So, yes, you may be a level 20 character, but still, rolling a 26 is almost impossible. All right. It just is. Once you succeed on the roll, you're immune to this. All right. But they got rid of that. But I just thought it was so funny that they they got rid of it for all the dragons, but they gave players the option to get it, all right? So what they did also with this new Tiamat stat block is they brought over the concept that was introduced in Theros, all right, Mythic Odyssey, where basically you have these giant creatures, mythical monsters. When they die, they get resurrected again, and you have to beat them again. So this Tiamat in this book is still hard, Ryan, this is why they're able to make it a level a CR 30. So, but instead of the Tiamat in the Rise of Tiamat, which was a super aggro monster, totally doing tons of damage, this Tiamat is a total tank. All right. It can just take so much damage. So instead of being a really quick battle where your players die, or you have a really long battle where they're gonna win, but it's just gonna take forever. So and I thought it was interesting because this is kind of one of the first big monsters that we've seen revised. So I will say, Tom, that they do the art on this particular monster justice. Yes. Because that is an awesome piece of artwork on that page. But you are <laughs> right. There's they are few and far between. Um, but this one at least is, is pretty darn good. That's in my notes, too. The art for Tiamat here is way better than the art for Rise of Tiamat. I don't think they, back then, early 5e days, I don't think they really understood exactly what they wanted Tiamat to be. It's a really kind of, it's just a small dragon with five heads. Um, And this is like, not a small dragon. This is like, as big as a mountain, 
Right. But you yeah. also got to think, you know, when they launched 5e, I don't think they knew what yeah, that's they a, had. Yeah, it's, it has become its own aspect of Bahama. I mean, it's, it's this monster thing that has sort of taken over and become so popular. I'm sure the budgets for the books have changed and, and the artwork too. So, But anyway, so and again, overall thoughts. I think chapter three is worth the price of admission. Yep. I think that chapter alone is the gem, the jewel in this book, and I'm glad it's there. Almost everything else could be take or left. Uh, there are some nuggets spread throughout. So overall, I'm generally positive on this book, despite my rant on chapter five. I, the the lore aspect of that drives, drives me bananas, but I actually think it's still useful information. I think it misses where it doesn't take the opportunity just to pull all the different dragons together and make this the definitive book. But I still overall, I'm pretty positive on the book. Tom, what about you? Yeah, this is a weird one for me because, yeah, I was pretty negative on it. And there's definitely like some really serious critiques that we need to talk about of this book. But I do agree. I think chapter three alone, there are not just not enough good books that are for just dungeon masters. All right. There's lots of there's lots of adventure books. There's player books, monster manuals, but books used to create campaigns. There are far and few between. I mean, honestly, I mean, I keep on bringing it up. Van Richten's to me was that. It was how to make a campaign in Ravenloft. This is how to make a dragon campaign. And so there is what's so frustrating about this book is there is so much here that I like and want to like, but it just doesn't go as far as I want it to go. And so I was... A lot of stuff I feel like could have been cut from the Dragonomicon in order to give us more lore or to give us more magic items or more spells. And I guess it's one of those things where it all comes down to um, you can always have more, but I think that there could have been some stuff that could have been called from this. So, All right. And Ryan, what about you? I am wholeheartedly uh, for this book, I think, overall. I like it. I, I agree with Tom that it is definitely for the DM. But, and I, again, I've said it, I think it does enough and it leaves you open for interpretation if you need to expand on something. But for the most part, I think it's pretty solid. Um, I'm, you know, there's a few things that, that layout wise that Tom said uh, could be better. And I agree, but I think this book accomplishes what it set out to be. And I think that it definitely is for a, a DM, not probably like he said, in the realm of forgotten realms to uh to try to fit it in there this is definitely probably more homebrewish um and there's nothing wrong with that there's still plenty in here that you can take and put in the forgotten realms setting if you're running those books i i really like it uh i think it's definitely got more pluses and minuses all right well let's get to our overall or let's get to our ratings so we start with uh, the same rubric we always use, art and layout. We kind of lump these together, even though they're a little bit different, but we put them together. So Tom, we'll start with you. What is your overall thoughts and rating for art and layout, including any thoughts on the alt cover? So I like the alt cover. The the, the regular cover, I think it's just too much red. It kind of just fades like into nothingness. Uh but my overall rating here, I got to give it a C. This is probably going to be my lowest score ever. I'm going to give it a C minus. All right. There's good art here. But the problem is there's not enough of it. All right. They needed art in the Dragonomicon. There's, I think I did a count. I think there is a section where there is like 20 something pages go by and no art. All right. This is too, that's too many pages. And the other thing is 
I've got serious problems with how they present the information in the layout of this book. Because the problem is we've seen such good layout recently from some of these new books. Tasha's, Van Richten's, Wild Beyond Witchlight, these all these books all presented information so well. And then this book just doesn't do that. It just kind of falls flat for me. So yeah, I gotta give it a C minus here. All right. I'm actually going to go B minus. Okay. Uh, basically the same thoughts that you had. Um, the layout, again, I just, I don't have an eye for layout, so it doesn't strike me as, as bad as, as it does to you. They're, the art that they have is good. Some of it's amazing, but there's not enough of it. And I actually really dislike the salt cover. Oh, really? Like, there's, there's been a few that I've like thought were okay. Mostly I like the alt covers. Uh, no, I, I actively wish I had the other one. Oh, really? Like, I okay. Like, I do not like we'll, this at we'll all. We'll trade when I see you, Michael, because I like that well, one. Well, but better. I got to keep it. I got to keep the set. Oh, so, I mean, okay. I'm live gotcha. With it. Okay. All yeah. Right. All right. So, uh, Ryan, your thoughts, your overall rating for art and layout? I'm going to go right in the middle of you guys and say C. Okay. Um, layout, I'm not, you know, layout, I, it doesn't really, as long as I get the information I need, I don't mind having to look it up. But there are some points where things could probably be in better places. As far as art goes, I like the regular cover. I'm thankful that they put a picture of the entire piece of art in the front of the book. Although it's small, the the fact that you have to – it's from front and back of the cover, and you have to f- completely unfold it to see it doesn't do it justice. That Even if it's small, that picture in the front is so much better. But uh, like Tom said, the, the, the colors they chose for both the regular and the alt cover – they're too much of the same. There's not enough different color variations in there uh, to make it stand out. Um, but the, the, I mean, that arts, it's still good, but it's a lot of the same colors. And I think things get a little muddled. There definitely could be more artwork. I miss the fact that there's no artwork on the magic items at all. That's a bummer for me because I always enjoy looking up what a magic item looks like, but um the, some of the art that's in there, like we discussed, the aspect of Tiamat is fantastic. I like all the pictures of Fisben, uh in his monk form. And I really did, I'll say it again, I really enjoyed, as a dungeon master, the point of view of Fisben and his little antecedents to all of the different topics. I, I honestly think that that was uh, genius. And it's so fun. And it's just, it's comical all the way throughout the book. I, I did really enjoy those little notes. Excellent. All right. So then, Tom, what about fluff? So this is the uh, the story aspect, the lore, the world building. What do you think about this book? Okay. So I've already said my opinion on this. All right. This book started out, I was like, this is amazing. This world has been sundered. Who sundered this world? And I was like, tell me more. And then I was like, Whoops, sorry, we're not going to tell you anything else. And throughout the book, there's these like little like seeds that are thrown. Like it talks about these like creatures from a far realm that the gemstone dragons are fighting. But it, I don't know what these things are. Uh, what are you, what are you talking about? A war between far off Cthulhu like creatures and gemstone dragons. I want to know more, but it's just not there. So the stuff that is there is awesome because I wanted to read more of it, but there was, wasn't enough. So I think it was a perception thing going into this book. I thought I was going to get a lot more lore. I thought it was going to be a lore dump by Fizban, but 
that's not what this book was. And I think that's kind of what we kind of came to the conclusion there, Ryan. This is a book for if you have your own world. Like, so the lore here is just not there, but what is there is great. So I'll give it a B minus. All right. Uh, similar, similar. I'm going to go with just a B. Uh, like I said, I, there's not really a whole lot of lore, but there are little nuggets, uh, you know, seeds for your version of the lore that you want to create. And, and again, I think that that section on reproduction is sort of an explicit permission for a dungeon master. Like you can do whatever you want. Here's some examples. I think those are fun. So I think the, the fluff is just little fluff nuggets to give inspiration. And I think that's valuable. So I'm gonna give it a B. Ryan? Uh, I'm going to go B plus um, for the same reasons you guys talked about. But for me, there's there's enough of it. Um, it's not getting an A because it does leave me wanting more. I I still want more. I still want more story. I still want more information so that my keeps my creative juices going. Um, whether it be the spells we talked about or the magic items, uh, things like that, that uh, are more enticing or something I can create a, a side bar around. But yeah, I, I like it. I think it does enough. I think it, like Tom said, we agree. It's definitely for more of a homebrew style setting. But, uh, and the, the reason it's not an A or, high, or higher than a B, B plus for me is because uh, there's just not enough. It still leaves me wanting more. And I wish it was still there. More stuff for me to, to dwell on and think on it and create more from. All right. And then we're on to crunch. So this is the mechanical elements, new rules, new items, new spells, um, that sort of thing. Tom, why are you giving it for crunch? So I'll give this a B plus for crunch. Yes, there aren't enough uh, spells. Uh, That's one complaint. But at the end of the day, this isn't a player's book. It's a dungeon master book. And there are so many new things to use that are actually crunchy bits, such as all the all the regional effects all the different tables. There is a actually a real a pretty decent bestiary here with a lot of cool stuff. Yes, I much prefer the older version of Tiamat, but it's like, but it's still the rules that they add are good. The the monk is cool. Like you can play a dragon fighting monk, which is awesome. So I dig it. So I mean, I give it. A, I'll give it a B plus for the crunch here. All right, I'm going to go B plus as well. Um, again, I, you know, keeping my rant aside, having all the different dragons, having a layer for each of them, so that you can easily plop that down. All the tables and charts in chapter three that you can help create memorable and unique dragons for your campaigns. That's all fabulous. Again, worth the price of admission, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I'm going with B plus there. And then Ryan, I liked it more than you guys. I'm going to say A minus. The only thing that we already talked about that I think it was missing um, as far as crunch goes is probably uh, a subclass or two, you know, specifically the sorcerer subclass. I think they probably could have added one more Uh, in this particular book. You know, they're giving credit due to how the strength of dragons. So why isn't there, you know, another subclass, maybe even as many as six devoted to dragons if they're that powerful? You know, we've got two. So I, I think that they could have added one or two more. And that really would have spoken to how involved the mythos of dragons is uh, in the world of Dungeons and Dragons and how popular they are. But crunch wise, I love all the tables. I love the the variety of things. Tom mentioned the uh, regional effects. I, I really dig those. And I think that it helps flavor the world. And I think that if you use those, it'll help immerse your character, your players into the world and where they're at. Uh, 
So other than the, maybe a few subclasses we're missing and maybe a few more magic items uh, specific to uh, maybe a, a color of dragon or a type of dragon, uh, I think this is, was pretty great overall. All right, fantastic. So now finally, our overall ratings. Tom, what are you giving it overall? I give it a, I'm going to give it a C. Smack dab, you know, in the middle. If you're a dungeon master, like, it's, I mean, we don't, we don't have that much stuff. We've got, there's a lot of adventure books, a, uh, a lot of monster stuff, player option stuff. But as far as building your own campaigns, there's few and far between. So C, so, I, I, there's so much more that I wish this book was. Yep, I'm going with the B right there in the middle. Again, I still think chapter three, like there's nothing that keeps me from doing that. I can make my own charts for all of the same, all that stuff, but I don't have to now because that's there. Uh, it does make me want to run a campaign that's very dragon centric. It wants me to pull out my old crimson claw, golden claw uh, campaign, uh, you know, ideas and maybe see if I could do something with that in fifth edition. I think that would be fun. Uh, so it's a book I'm happy to have. I wish I had the other cover, uh, but I definitely think there's what's there is good, but there could be so much more that maybe should have been in there, but this is still a solid book. I think it's a good book to have. It, it gets a B for me. All right, Ryan, your final and overall. Uh, I think my average is a B plus. I think that's pretty fair. Um, I definitely am more positive. I think about this than, than you guys are. Um, and really the reason I hire is just, I want more of it. Um, you know, I think all in all, 200 and what 25 pages I think is on the smaller end of things. I could, I could use another 50 pages of stuff and that's really my only complaint. I think overall, I mean, you know, things like we talked about uh, layout or whatever, it doesn't really not important to me. I can look through the book and find it, you know, Um, is in the best place, whatever. I don't really care as long as it's in there. I just want more. Uh, And that's the reason it's not higher. Yep, this is actually, it's interesting you bring that up. It is on the shorter end of all the books. So just another note. Um, yep. Yep, I did have one other thought that I will say that this book for me is does make me want to run Tyranny of Dragons again. To me, this book is the, this is the, this is a splat book for it. Like, it is like, take this, combine it with that adventure, and you got yourself a great, like, joint product. So take this book and run tyranny of dragons. I think you would have a lot of fun. So. All right. Fantastic. Uh, so as always, you know, if, if you're listening, if you agree or disagree with our ratings, our thoughts, our reviews, we'd love to hear from you. So please consider emailing the show, the RPG Academy at gmail.com or just tag the Facebook or Twitter post when this episode comes out. If you have a product you would like for us to take a look at, we pretty much are going to do all the D&D stuff because we're on their media list and they send them to us. That's just kind of how that's going to work. But we do want to review other things and we have reached out to people and we have other reviews that we're working on. But if you have something you would like this to take a look at, either because it's yours and you want us to review it or it's just a product that you, you like, hit us up. We will do what we can. Reach out to the publishers, see if we can get a review copy. Maybe we'll buy our own. Uh, but again, we don't promise that we will do any reviews because if we just get a product we don't really care for it, we're just not going to talk about it. But that's only happened a few times. You can find me at the RPG Academy on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. That's the most easiest place to get a hold of me. Tom, where can people get a hold of you? You can follow me at Bezcar Tom on Twitter. Yes, that's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. And Ryan, where can people find you on the inter- the webosphere? Uh, I am known as uh, Teleporta uh, on Twitter. Um, not so much active, but I do uh, get into the RPG Academy Discord. So if uh, if 
you uh, have the time and uh, want to communicate, we're all on there as well. Uh, so give us a shout out there too. Yeah, again, it's a closed community, but anybody who asks for the invite will get one. You just have to send me a message like, hey, I want it, I want invited. I'll send it to you. Uh, it is a really fun place to be. Uh, please consider donating to our Patreon. We are going to revamp that here within a few weeks. Uh, right at the beginning of New Year, it's going to have a new look, a new set of goals, a new levels, all that kind of good stuff. Every bit helps uh, pay for what we have done here and what we're going to continue to do in uh, your support would be greatly appreciated. Uh, And then finally, before we go, we always have to leave on our words of wisdom, our motto, (laughs) our guiding light here at the RPG Academy. And that is, if you are having fun, you're doing it right. You're doing doing it right. right. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook Or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.